Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. You know, sheep and shepherds were commonplace in Bible times. Maybe that is why God has used so much pastoral imagery throughout His Word. It was something that the people knew about and understood. A lot of us know the 23rd Psalm of King David, who was himself a shepherd, where he looks at himself as a sheep under the care of a much greater shepherd, the Lord. He declared that he had no wants or cares that went unsatisfied, whenever he was near his loving shepherd. It's easy to see the contrast between sheep and the shepherd. Sheep are helpless, weak, and needy creatures. They commonly lose their way and become easy targets for hungry predators. We are a lot like sheep. And spiritually, we are easy prey for the devil, who, as the scripture says, is as a roaring lion seeking for those he can devour. On the other hand, we have a seeking shepherd who was also looking for the sheep, ready to lay down his life for its rescue. What wonderful words Isaiah the prophet writes in the Old Testament, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, Christ, the iniquity of us all. Today's speaker, Mr. Eugene Higgins, looks more closely at this imagery in the Word of God, and applies it to our lives and the wonderful plan of God for our salvation and blessing. Now tonight we're going to be considering one of the most wonderful titles of the Lord Jesus. We're going to be thinking about the Lord Jesus as the shepherd, or to use his own glorious words, the good shepherd who gave his life for the sheep. In the book of Genesis chapter 49, Moses recorded the words of Jacob who was nearing death. Jacob spoke about each of his sons. He came to Joseph and he said, Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well, whose branches run over the wall. The archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him, but his bow abode in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Now, perhaps the Old Testament's most famous words in Psalm 23, the Lord, David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That is, I shall have no lack. The Lord is my shepherd. Finally, in the New Testament, in the Gospel of John chapter 10, the Lord Jesus said, all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. Anyone posing as the Messiah prior to the coming of the Lord Jesus All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But ye, speaking about the people who were listening there, who were 
actually enemies of the Lord Jesus, but ye believe not because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man, any one, pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Since most of us are unfamiliar with a pastoral or a bucolic lifestyle, it may be helpful to understand why this is such a frequent example used throughout Scripture. First of all, of course, shepherding was a common vocation in the centuries when and in the locales where the Bible was written. But perhaps more importantly, the imagery of sheep and shepherd can scarcely be improved on when the lessons are total helplessness on the part of the one and complete sufficiency on the part of the other. This is why David thought of the Lord not only as his king, not only as his fortress, not only as his Lord, not only as his refuge, but as his shepherd. So I want you to think about the absolute helplessness of sheep. We are entirely lacking what we need. Sin has put us in the position of having massive requirements and monumental deficiencies. And those deficiencies are precisely in connection with our greatest needs, our spiritual needs. This is what is meant by the Bible's words that we are without strength. Romans 5 records when we were yet without strength. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Spiritually, we were and are helpless to save ourselves. Notice our inabilities. We have no ability to maintain life. None, the Bible says, none can keep alive his own soul. We are mortal and we live in a world of death. No matter how carefully we live, no matter how carefully we plan, we cannot avoid this. David realized that there was just a step between him and death as Saul was chasing him. Today, with what is happening with the viruses that are in our world, today is just a cough between us and a coffin. Just a step, David said. He realized how near death was and that he had no ability to maintain life. And of course, hand in hand with that, we have no ability to defeat death. Men and women have faced surgery. They have faced diseases. They have faced some life-threatening diseases and lived to talk about it. But when it comes to dying, the Bible says there is no one who has power in the day of death. An unnamed woman in the Old Testament who was simply described as the wise woman from a little place called Tekoa, she said to King David, we must needs die. We are as water spilt on the ground that can't be gathered up again. Those are tremendously insightful words, aren't they? We have to die, that we can't regain, we can't recoup life. At the moment death arrives, we are as helpless as Samson was when his hair was cut and he had lost his strength and the Philistines were on him. And the man who thought he could handle a problem like that suddenly found he was overwhelmed. That's what death does when a person comes to die. He is overwhelmed by a power that he never dreamed was so mighty. And we have no ability to offer a defense to God for how we have lived. That is why the Bible says every mouth is stopped and all the world is guilty before God. You'll remember Achan in the Old Testament who disobeyed God and stole when they had gone into the city of Jericho, the soldiers. He was a soldier among, among the others, but when no one was watching, he stole. And then he conspired with his family to hide the things. And you will recall the winnowing process as God gave Achan 
opportunity to repent, and Achan held on to his deceit. And one by one, people are being moved aside until finally there stands Achan before Joshua. And Joshua says, now tell me the truth. What did you do? Achan had no defense. He could explain his sin. He could tell what he had done, but he had no defense he could offer. And we have no defense that we will ever be able to present to God for our sin. And we have no ability to redeem our souls. None can by any means redeem his brother or give to God the ransom. We are helpless. Think about Ruth in the Old Testament needing someone to redeem her. She had nothing to contribute. It all depended on whether Boaz would pay the price to bring her into blessing. And everything that we needed had to be provided by Christ because we were helpless, we were powerless, we were without strength. In the year 2004, a 46-year-old man was in a car accident on a Houston highway. He pulled aside, along with a man who hit his car, he pulled aside and the other man got out and apparently they were exchanging insurance information, but for safety's sake, they stepped between the concrete barriers. There were two concrete barriers lining the highway and they stepped in between. Now, all I can tell you is that the man who was responsible for the accident must have thought to himself, I have to get away from here because it looks like this man has died. Because when they stepped in between the barriers, this 46-year-old man collapsed. So we're left to assume that the other man retrieved his insurance information and got out of there. This left the man, I'll call him Ed, that's his name, but I'll just leave his last name out for anonymity. This left Ed's car parked by the side of the road, and Ed lying on his side, staring at one of those concrete barriers and unable to move. He lay there for 36 hours. The tow truck came and towed his car away. He lay there. Now, he was calling for help, but the noise of the highway was drowning his voice. The tow truck came, hitched up the car, pulled it away. His wife and, I think, sons came searching the area around where the car was parked. Couldn't find him. 36 hours he lay there, and it just so happened that a truck driver happened to gaze down and saw a man's feet, called the police. When the police came, they thought Ed was dead. They actually poked him with a nightstick, thinking he was dead, and found he was alive. They took him to the hospital. Doctors determined that he had broken his neck and he had suffered a spinal cord injury that had left him, at least as far as I know, temporarily paralyzed. But can you get the picture? 36 hours, a man is lying on his side, calling for help. No one is hearing him. He cannot lift himself. He cannot make himself heard. He can do nothing for himself. If he is going to be rescued, then he needs someone to come all the way to where he is and do all of the rescuing. We were helpless. We were like sheep. Sheep are lacking what they need when it comes to defense and rescue. And we're easily led. This is why one of the reasons why the Bible picks the image of a sheep to picture us. We are easily led. Sin has darkened our intellect. In fact, sin has predisposed us to accepting comforting lies rather than painful truth. I'm often amazed to see the way error and wrong are quickly swallowed while people balk at the truth and refuse to accept what God says. The New Testament describes people who are not saved as walking according to the course of this world. That is, men and women are pushed 
to pursue the same goals and have the same attitudes as other sinners. All concentrating on material things, earthly things, temporal things, passing things, the the course of this world instead of thinking about eternity. And then it's described as walking according to the prince of the power of the air, the great puppet master, adapting the same attitude toward God and Christ that the devil has, that he implants in our mind. We could be religious, but when it comes to believing what God says, trusting what God says, coming to him as helpless sinners, it is the last thing we will do to take that place before God that we are absolutely helpless. Paul wrote about men and women being blinded by the God of this age, kept in the dark so that liberating and divine truth does not reach us. And then John uses a terrible picture. He says in 1 John chapter 5 that we're lying in the wicked one, lying, as it were, in the arms of a devil who is comforting and quieting us because he doesn't want us to face divine truth. There are a thousand and one religions to confuse us. There are myriad voices misdirecting us. And until a person listens to God, like sheep, we are so easily led. Consequently, we are utterly lost. There is an ongoing process in the life of unsaved people. The Bible speaks of our being lost, an ongoing and worsening thing, that the longer a person is on the broad way, the farther he is getting from God, the more difficult it is becoming for that person to be saved. We become set in our ways, and we are going in the wrong direction, being lost. And of course, there's a malicious power at work at work in the minds of every unconverted person. As I mentioned to you, the God of this age has blinded the minds of those who believe not. It was Helen Keller who said that worse than blindness is sight without seeing. And it's terrible to think that we can see, and yet the devil blinds our minds to seeing divine truth. And there is a tragic prospect in the pathway of each unconverted person. The idea of being lost reminds us we're traveling away from God and in danger of being lost forever. The same word God uses to describe the spiritual condition of unconverted men and women now is the word that is used to describe what it is like to be in hell, to be lost forever, to be lost to God, to be lost to heaven, to be lost to yourselves because it is the loss of your own soul and all of the well-being and joy that God wants for you. So let me tell you very quickly and happily about the mighty power of the shepherd. I read in the Bible about a shepherd who sacrificed. His name was Moses. He was called to lead and care for the people for 40 years. He had sacrificed a throne to join them, and then he sacrificed all through his ministry, all through his service. People would see Moses, and they should have realized that he could have sat on a throne, but that he left that for them. In a greater way, the Lord Jesus sacrificed for you. Paul puts it this way, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes, he became poor. He sacrificed. I read in the Bible about a shepherd who suffered. Jacob was a shepherd who told Laban how cruel he had been and how much Jacob had suffered. Here are his words. 20 years have I been with thee. In the day, the drought consumed me and the frost by night. My sleep departed from my eyes. Thus have I been 20 years in your house. The Lord Jesus suffered beyond words. I'm not so much thinking about how he suffered through his life. I'm thinking about the sufferings that were endured so that he could save you. He suffered willingly. I read to you the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. 
He added that nobody takes his life from him, that he was going to give it, sacrifice it willingly. And he suffered infinitely. He would tell the disciples that there was a prophecy that was going to be fulfilled. It's found in the Old Testament book of Zechariah. And it says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man that is my fellow, says the Lord. So God is speaking. And he is referring to someone who is God's fellow and equal with God. And God's shepherd, appointed by God to be the shepherd. And he calls on his sword to awaken and to smite that shepherd. And if you have read the Old Testament book of Isaiah 53, chapter 53, if you have read the Bible's account, if you have read the gospel's account, you will know that Christ suffered not so much from Herod, not so much from Pilate, not so much from the soldiers, but he suffered from God, from my sins. And it's likened in the Bible to an ancient sword awakening and held in the hand of almighty power, smiting Christ on the cross. Of course, the wonderful truth of all of this is that he suffered vicariously. He suffered on behalf of others. Isaiah wrote, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, the Lord has laid on the Lord Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And then he adds, and Peter picks that up in the New Testament and words it this way, by whose stripes, by whose suffering ye were healed. A young woman named Jansen survived the deadly Aurora, Colorado movie theater shooting in the year 2012. She described what happened. She said her boyfriend immediately knew what was happening. And he pushed her down. She said, he, he, he pushed me under the seat and he whispered in my ear, there's someone with a gun and he's shooting people. Get down, Jansen, get down and stay down. She said, I didn't know, but he knew immediately that it was real. He saved me and he gave me the opportunity to live. He would have done it for anyone that day. That's just who he was. Do you know how he saved her? When he told her to get down, when he pushed her under the seat, he covered her with his body. And he took the bullet for her. She lived. He died. Come to Calvary and listen to the words of Scripture. The Son of God loved me, and he gave himself for me. I live. He died. Now, I'm glad to tell you that he died, and now he lives. But he died and suffered infinitely so that I could be saved. He's sitting on the throne right now, and the, the book of Revelation tells us that that lamb, the lamb of God who suffered at Calvary, the lamb is in the midst of the throne, and he's going to shepherd his people forever and lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. He sacrificed and suffered for you, and just now, throughout your lifetime, this is the shepherd who is searching for you. You recall the words of the Lord Jesus when he told the parable of the hundred sheep, what man of you having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doesn't leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? He's searching for you. He's searching for you to find you and save you. Sometimes he uses friends of yours who are Christians. Sometimes he speaks in your conscience. Sometimes circumstances occur that turn your mind to thinking about salvation and Christ and heaven and hell but he's searching for you. He wants to save you because this savior is the one who can deliver you. He said, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. David, when he was a young man, 
and Goliath was roaring his defiance out there in the valley of Elah, David said to King Saul that he had saved sheep. He was a shepherd. He saved sheep. He said he was keeping his father's flock and a lion and a bear came out at different times and tried to take one of the sheep. And David smote the attacker and rescued, saved his sheep. The Lord Jesus says that he gives eternal life to his sheep. Joseph was a shepherd and Joseph told his brothers that he would nourish them. If they came down to Egypt, he would be like a shepherd to them. He would nourish them and care for them in the midst of the famine. This is why David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall have no lack. I shall not want. Because this shepherd doesn't simply save a person and then tell you to make your way to heaven as best you can. The shepherd put that sheep on his shoulders when he saved it, and he brought it safely home. And the moment that a person trusts the Lord Jesus, he has the presence of Christ with him through all his days. He'll secure you. He'll secure your eternal well-being. He not only said, I give my sheep eternal life and they shall never perish, but he said, no one shall pluck them out of my hand. My father that gave them me is greater than all, and no one will pluck them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. That is omnipotence doubled when the shepherd and God the father say, no one will pluck them out of our hands. And that is the security he is offering to you. It may surprise some people to find out that The man called St. Patrick was not Irish. He actually was a Romanized Briton who was carried off into captivity, into slavery, by Irish raiders. He ended up living a very miserable life, caring for his master's pigs in the nearby hills. Part of the description is that he almost lived like an animal himself, enduring long bouts of hunger and thirst and isolation. He had only been a nominal Christian up to that point, but here are his words. He said, I would pray constantly during the daylight hours. The love of God and the fear of God surrounded me more and more. The Lord opened to me a sense of my unbelief that I might be converted with all my heart unto the Lord. Following a daring escape at the age of 22, Patrick returned home to his joyous parents who hoped he would never leave them again. But in his heart, there was a love for the Irish people. So back he went. At that point, they were worshiping the elements. They saw evil spirits and trees and stones, and they engaged in magic, even in human sacrifice, performed by the Druids. It very much becomes us, wrote Patrick, to stretch our nets that we may take for God a copious and crowded multitude. And so he preached to them about the Lord Jesus. In his confessions, he wrote this, I am greatly a debtor to God who has bestowed his grace so largely on me that multitudes were born again to God through me. The Irish, who had never had the knowledge of God and worshipped only idols and unclean things, have lately become the people of the Lord and are called sons of God. There is a shepherd who wants to make you a child of God, who wants to save you, who wants to satisfy the longings of your heart, who wants to secure your eternal well-being. He is the good shepherd who gave his life for the sheep. He is the shepherd that Moses wrote about centuries ago, that Jacob foresaw would be coming from the God of Jacob into our world, the good shepherd who gave his life so that you could be saved. Trust him tonight. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved.
Yes, the Good Shepherd gave his life so that we could be saved. We will surely have no needs or wants when we are his. We will have eternal life, a relationship with God the Father, and the promise of a future hope in heaven. Do you resist being called a mere sheep? We hope not. It was for the wandering sheep that the Good Shepherd gave his life. Trust him today, won't you? If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you would like some literature that would help you understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at anchorpointradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by Believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday, as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. If you've been challenged by today's message and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel or of gathering unto the name of the Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our Anchor Point website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gathering center nearest you. Our Anchor Point messages are also available for listening and download at anchorpointradio.com. My name is Glenn Todd. Thank you once again for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that Christ alone is the anchor for the soul.